0: You're listening to Alternative Thinking, Both Sides of the Coin, a production of the Canadian Association of Alternative Strategies and Assets, where we explore today's markets and alternative investments from two distinct perspectives. Today we have eight hours of time zones between our two participants, one in London, UK, and the other in Calgary, Canada, and they share a keen interest in real estate located in, for the former, in Europe, and in the case of the latter, in Canada, the US, and Mexico. We'll speak on the real estate markets in general and their areas of expertise, as well as where they see these investments going in the future as the world navigates the coronavirus crisis. James Buran is the president and co-founder of CASA. All opinions expressed during the show by James and our show guests remain their own and should be used for informational and educational purposes only. Find out more about CASA at
1: casa.ca.
0: Welcome. Today is Wednesday, April 29th, and I'm James Perron with CASA, and this is Alternative Thinking. Today we have Alex Schmidt with ESO Capital in London, England, and Doug Laird at ICM
1: Asset Management in Calgary, Canada. Uh, Let's start with self-introductions. We'll start with you, Alex. Thank you very much. Um, So again, my name is Alex Schmidt. I'm the founder of ESO. Uh, ESO is now 14 years old. Um, We are uh, positioned very much at the lower end of the middle market, so we provide capital to uh, corporates as well as real estate situations where banks don't want to uh, provide capital. We are by nature more debt guys than equity guys, but we do play really across the senior capital uh, structure. Uh, My personal background is um, uh, really out of bankruptcy, um, spending really about 28 years in what now is really called special situations investing. So anything from non-performing loans, private lending, uh, litigation claims, um, private equity—that's um, sort of where I come from. Um, again, ESO—we are now raising our fund seven, um, and uh, obviously the crisis has um, has repositioned that fund to some extent. So I'm looking forward to the to the talk today.
0: Well, thanks, um, boy. Fund seven. Like I think that what's it in in. Uh... And fundraising land, you know, your first fund, no one really knows who you are. Your second fund, they kind of get to know, but you really haven't re- done many realizations. By fund three, people have maybe got some money back and they're maybe happy with you or not. So how has it been on that journey to get all the way up to up to fund seven uh, through all these? Uh, like, and you've, you've been through the crisis obviously since you, so one of your funds was probably, uh, at least one of them was investing during 2008,
1: 2009. Yeah, that is true. Um, I remember those days very vividly, <laughs> which probably helps today. You know, it's it's interesting. If you are um, a slightly unusual asset manager in the sense that you really play in a sandbox where other people don't really want to play in, then while we are on Fund 7, I would still say that fundraising Mm -hmm. is a challenge every time. It has gotten easier, yes, but uh, it is never a smooth ride. um, And it is always something that um, causes me some concerns um, because you never exactly Mm -hmm. know where the market stands. You know, we have a classic example today that this. Specific thing helps us, but um, you know there have been crises before where we are then out of favor. So um, it's still challenging, but again we've made some progress. What's the?
0: Uh, I think you alluded to it in your last answer. There, the repositioning you're doing with Fund Seven was—is well, it, is it to kind of take advantage, if you can, uh, this kind of crisis of the the kind of mispricings of that, or is there something else that's uh, that's underlying that?
1: Yeah, I mean I think we, we we are definitely going to, in addition to what we normally do, also focus on what we would probably call dislocation in the marketplace, right? Mm-hmm. Um, frankly, it's a little too early, at least from my end, to judge as to where that comes from. So whether it's more asset backed, cash flows, real distress, or just um, situational distress. Um, but we will certainly incorporate that now uh, into um, the fund strategy going forward. And we saw some of those, I guess, in the last crisis. There were some...
0: Almost like special purpose vehicles that came out. I think they had about a three or four year life on them. They were going to buy a bunch of houses and and that were you know in foreclosure for a dollar plus taxes, this type of thing. And and I'm not sure actually what happened. You probably know what well, what happened to those types of funds. And are you are you seeing some of those people talking about it now? Because it almost seems like every time something like this happens, everything kind of like goes in 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 faster faster mode to uh, to adapt to it.
1: Uh, frankly, I don't know what vehicles we're, you're referring to, but I, I'm definitely seeing a lot of funds being mm-hmm. raised for all kinds of different distress strategies. Um, I think they're very much sort of led by the brand names, you know, the Apollos, the Oak Trees, the Cerberuses, and so on. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think that will be a very, very big development. Um, my experience in these sort of crises is that. For um, U.S. investors, and we still have significant U.S. investors, they kind of retrench mm-hmm. back into the home market right? because that's where the distressed market is really alive. So in my experience, what happens on our side being, you know, Europe and being, um, you know, at the very end of the um, uh, SME market, meaning the smaller end, um, capital seems to really um, disappear for a while, which obviously good is, is, is great for doing deals. It is not necessarily mm-hmm. ideal for raising money.
0: Cool. And then uh, maybe just one more on your your investor base and where you invest: in US, EU, UK, Asia. Uh, what's the split for your investors and, and where you place money? Uh,
1: for our investors, it's really half and half: half US, half Europe. We don't have any Asian investors. Um, so our strategy is is still better understood um, in um, in the United States and Canada to some extent as well. Um, Europe still has to uh, catch up from the institutional uh, investors' end. It has gotten better. Um, but again, given that we only invest in Northern Europe, um, we have still a very, very large uh, U.S. investor base.
0: Great, thanks. And uh, how about you, Doug? Uh, what uh, let's hear about you and ICM as a management? We, uh, ICM was founded about uh, seventeen years ago,
2: and it was uh, initially and still is uh, an, an investment vehicle uh, for North American real estate for uh, German family offices. And uh, over the last few years, we've grown that uh, shareholder base um, to include uh, um, North American funds and predominantly uh, Canadian. Um, We manage about a billion dollars in real estate. So we uh, feel in many ways we're just getting started and that's across North America. So we are uh, active in Mexico City, uh, Mexico industrial, and then uh, in various uh, spots in the U.S. and of course in our home, in our backyard here in Canada. Uh, I come from a a banking background. I started out uh, Mm -hmm. as an investment banker in capital markets uh, probably about 15, 16 years ago and saw the light and got into sales. And I've been through, um, I came from a commodities background. uh, And so sat on the institutional desk at a Canadian large bank uh, on the commodity side and uh, eventually into the equities uh, business. And uh, I've uh, joined uh, ICM uh, in 2019 as we ramp up our. our institutional coverage.
0: How about so? How did that work with the German uh, family offices? Was it a few of them that were related that that started this and and did they, they started it in Calgary? How did, how did that come about?
2: Yeah, it's a bit of a circuitous route, I'm kind of a unicorn <laughs> in uh, in in Calgary. Uh, our founder Bruce Tim uh, is a Calgary uh, native, and uh, he ended up uh, working over in Germany and uh, through mm. some of the major banks and then into some of the major property uh, real estate investor investing houses and so uh, eventually he wanted to move his family back uh, to Canada and, and the opportunity came up and and given the focus was North American wide at least at that time it was Canada and the US and uh, it was just as easy to be in Calgary as it was to set up anywhere else for him you know that's the,
0: the long mm-hmm. story short. Plus, you get the stampede except for this year but yeah i mean it's exactly. a great no, place pretty, it. yeah.
2: pretty, pretty quiet town right now so uh, but
0: uh, it will come back it uh, it, it always does yeah. so uh, i guess with the family offices they had their own kind of funds and and different types of accounts but for the other outside investors are you uh, like ESO and you have a uh, like a, a private equity structure or is it more of a continuous offering uh, Offering memorandum, prospectus. Uh, how, how do people buy buy into the funds that you're you're uh, in the in the projects that you're working on?
2: Yeah, so traditionally we were closed end uh, uh, funds. Uh, we've done a number of those, but it was mm-hmm. with this pretty select group of investors, including uh, the the various German families. We uh, in the last year we op- we launched our uh, open ended mutual fund, and that is. Uh, that has various parameters around it in terms of investing, but that's thirty-ish percent in Mexico, fifty-ish five percent in um, the U.S. and uh, the rest in Canada. Um, but w- that fund will also invest in down into our closed-end funds, which we will uh, be launching uh, our U.S. co-investment uh, and uh, Mexico co-investment, our second, excuse me, uh, versions of those funds in in the in, hopefully in the new, next few months. And so we do a bit of both, I guess, is the answer. Mm-hmm. We um, we realized there was a need for um, uh, an open-ended fund to for certain shareholders. And we, we also uh, like the flexibility and capital in our business. We look for the best rate of return in the projects on our plate, whether it be in Canada, U.S. or, or Mexico City, predominantly in Mexico. And uh, as long as it fits kind of the asset mix we're after, uh, then everything is... is um, competes for for dollars out of the fund and and out of the the close end funds which obviously have more specific mandates and
0: more specific clientele Mm -hmm. so oh that's interesting in mexico city too eh so what um with the the with the covid crisis and such of course it's you know china and then uh i was over in europe actually when it was flowing over to italy and spain and then over to the uh to North America here, especially U.S. and you know in Canada, not a little bit different different story in Canada. But how is it Mexico for the coronavirus? And maybe you can comment on. Obviously, you have like half the money in, in the U.S. and a fair bit in Canada as well. So what? Uh, how uh, how would you compare the real estate markets in those three uh, those three geographies?
2: Well, I'll start you know you let in a bit with COVID there, and I think in Mexico just is emerging emerging markets, uh, that's to be determined, so we continue to uh, to, to watch that, but uh, largely we haven't seen a, a major impact on our investments there. So Mexico from an investment point of view, we uh, focus in the financial center of Mexico City. Uh, we've uh, done office boutique hotel um, and uh, multi-family for sale there and it's just an amazing demographic. That's what drew us to Mexico. Is a very young country, on average, uh, rising mm-hmm. middle class, and in terms of Mexico City, uh, it's it's a it's a magnet for the area in terms of its you know top three financial centers in um, in Latin America uh, for uh, activity, and so the the world is is moving there from a corporate point of view. We uh, we closed on a project in December uh, in Guadalajara with a uh, with a, a pension fund. Uh, we will continue to, to develop uh, mm-hmm. invest in developing uh, industrial in Mexico, in various locations. We think there's a, a great long term thesis that was already intact uh, when we started to look at it, and, and that's going to I think get even better with a dis- uh, you know a little more dislocation in in um, global su- supply chains. But uh, Mexico is mm-hmm. uh, at the doorstep of the uh, Biggest consumer economy in the world, and um, yep. you know, we we have seen uh, so far so good in 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 that area. Um, uh, as we move into the U.S., uh, we are pretty opportunistic on our in our in our capital and our, our ability to move around. We don't have the whole uh, country covered by any means, but uh, we have an office in Atlanta, and uh, we quite like the Southeast United States. And in, um, in terms of growth, and you know, there's many jurisdictions in the U.S and, um, that are so flexible on their taxation and ability to, to attract business that we try and follow the bouncing ball, if you will, in terms of the markets mm. of growth. So that, um, that, uh, creates a lot of opportunity. I mean, obviously it's not a unique strategy, but we it's, it's done. We've done well with it uh, in terms of finding unique uh, opportunities to put in our portfolio and th- mm-hmm. those go into either the, um, Closed-end uh, U.S. co-investment fund, or into and/or uh, as invested by the, the mutual fund, depending on the asset and and depending on the, the, the co-investor. We are an investor in Mexico and the U.S. We don't, uh, we are not developers. Uh, we are we can develop in Canada, operate in Canada, things like that. But we we kind of we hire best in class when we need help in those various jurisdictions. Hmm.
0: Pretty cool. Uh, how about from your side, Alex? Uh, you said Northern Europe, uh, EU. To me, that's Netherlands, uh, Luxembourg, Belgium, Germany, Denmark, Poland. Do you get into Nordics as well, or, or are you sticking to uh, the South side there? south sure.
1: Think generally beer, not wine. So if you're thinking UK, Ireland, <laughs> Germany, Austria, Switzerland, uh, a little bit of Benelux, but not a lot. Netherlands, I would include in uh, in the Nordics. We don't right now um, invest in um, uh, formerly Eastern Europe. So Poland is, um, uh, is off the map for us. We have done Poland before, but we're basically keeping it to the core countries uh, in Europe that from a jurisdictional standpoint, from a workout standpoint, from an insolvency standpoint, are probably the easier territories. I'm not saying they're necessarily easy. But they're slightly mm-hmm. easier than what you would find in Southern Europe. That's basically where where we invest.
0: Oh, that makes sense, and I like that beer, not wine, and I guess not vodka necessarily either. That's interesting.
1: That's true, but uh, you know, I guess uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure the Polish would uh, would fess up to vodka actually. So I'm not sure that's their drink. <laughs> but you know, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So what? Uh, how would
0: you compare those those economies? Like, they're like Germany's got a fair bit to do with Austria and Switzerland's got its own thing going on, and then you have the EU and Ireland, or uh, UK and Ireland?
1: I mean, listen, generally, I think it's self-explanatory, right? I think um, you guys um, you guys are probably familiar enough with Europe. I mean, listen, Germany is the engine, right? Um, I think the UK is has obviously now become somewhat of an outlier as it has left the EU. We'll kind of have yeah. to see how that all plays out within coronavirus. I mean, that is actually a topic uh, that is uh, of some note. Let's not forget that the UK was supposed to be delivering all kinds of negotiation papers to the EU, uh, to actually get Brexit done, I have a fair assumption that that won't be happening and that we're looking at a delay, which mm-hmm. will be interesting to see how that's going to be dealt with, right? Um, but generally, I think Europe is, you know, a, a kind of a, a, a reasonably trot along, you know, not a lot of up, not a lot of down kind of environment for the last probably, you know, several years. Um I think Germany has mm-hmm. the advantage that it has a lot of um, um, it has a lot of um, savings, right? Which they are now employing. I mean, they're really throwing money at the problem within the crisis, much more okay. so than really any other country on a, on a on a on a per um, um, on a per head basis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll kind of have to see how the crisis works out um, in terms of which countries will be more affected than others. But from what I can tell so far, and again, it's very very early. I think Southern Europe will suffer more so than probably Northern Europe, and uh, the UK will be a bit of a special case. We'll kind of see how that plays out. Uh, France, I think, is a, is an interesting one because um, you know, that's really a country that has probably suffered more from the crisis than what the perception is out there. I think it's a mm. real significant issue if you compare, it, for instance, to Germany. Um, but you know, I don't expect any any significant changes to how Europe is composed. I think what's very difficult to um, get your head around right now is, you know, is this a one-time crisis? Is this a serial crisis? Um, hmm. You know, are we up and running back in in a, in a month's time, or are we going to be back up and running in a very limited uh, time frame? And, and frankly, figuring that out right now is impossible. I mean, we we'd be guessing. Right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Totally. How about for your? Um, uh... Your borrowers, you said lower middle market, and uh, against real estate, and and you lend to corporates as well. So, what uh, what types of industries are they in, and then and and what kind of real estate is it mostly, like commercial, residential, or construction, or maybe you got a yeah. break down
1: your portfolio? So, so first, the real estate fund is a separate fund, and in, in this sort of our main fund is is mostly a corporate um, a corporate fund. Okay. Um, in terms of maybe cover the real estate piece first, I mean. Just like in the corporate side, we we really specialize on special niches, right? So um, we like supporting what you may call asset managers or deal originators that have identified a specific niche uh, and they want to grow that into a sustainable business. Um, and we tend to both play on what we call the equity side, i.e. investing in the company itself. But we also then provide that company with capital to grow the book. And the book could be you know, I don't know, um, could be affordable housing in the north of England. It could be care homes in Ireland. Um, it could be, um, you know, again, other niche strategies that, um, um, that that asset manager has developed a significant expertise, but tends to be short money. Right. So it's really mm-hmm. building businesses within the fund. On the corporate side, uh, you know, it's really trying to embrace complexity, um and um try to look through the risks to identify whether the risk is real or whether the risk is simply perceived as part of a checklist which you know i think is kind of bank territory um mm-hmm. and this could be all kinds of things this could be you know fundamentally good companies there's a very significant customer concentration i'm mentioning that because that's you know one of our our deals that we've done uh, just a little bit of time ago where the bank would simply shy away because that customer concentration is something that they just don't like right um right. sometimes we deal with you know complex shareholder structures uh, inheritance issues managers leaving managers entering um, so we like situations again where a traditional lender would kind of shy away from because it's just too difficult right yeah we Some don't we, hair on it eh? <laughs> yeah mm, yes but hair not in a fundamental basis of the business right uh, ah. it's more around the business um, mm. And um, you know there's lots and lots and lots of situations where that works just because banks have really retrenched out of this marketplace. There isn't a lot of capital in the market that I operate in right now anyway. So with Corona crisis, you know, there'll be even less capital and there'll be more capital demands because people will be short money. Um, in terms of industries, we're industry agnostic. Mm-hmm. However, um, we really like staying in what you would call probably sort of, you know, traditional businesses, service businesses, manufacturing business. So you wouldn't really see us in, let's say, oil and gas or technology or mm-hmm. um, healthcare. Um, we really like to eliminate uh, risks that we simply can't control. So, I mean, frankly, we're not the best guys identifying patents. We certainly don't control the oil price. So we want to remove <laughs> as many sort of macro factors as we can. Uh, and you know, we would invest in, in, uh, window manufacturers. We would invest in cleaning companies, stuff like that.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a good, uh, bread and butter sort of, uh, portfolio there. And you got, yeah, that's interesting. Knowing, knowing what you can control and then sticking to the, uh, sticking to that. That's that's cool. How about you with, um, uh, sorry, Doug, what what sort of opportunities are you seeing in, um, in the market now? Like you said, you kind of follow the the tax ball as it bounces around the state to state kind of where are you seeing kind of pockets of of opportunity and maybe it's something that you wouldn't have seen like six or nine months ago and now it's starting to maybe percolate up. Well,
2: I think the, the, our thesis hasn't changed in terms of where we see opportunity. We I think we are all seeing a market uh, generally that has, has seen the acceleration of a certain trends, uh, good or bad. Uh, obviously, retail, uh, mom and pop retail is going to have a tough time here. Um, industrial was already on the radar in the U.S., uh, particularly for a lot of investors, given the uh, the Move to e-commerce and just the need for newer, newer built buildings in terms of uh, size of trucks, need for space, et cetera. So we, mm. there are, are certain, um, trends that are, are, accelerating. Um, there are certain aspects, uh, in the near term that aren't, uh, great for anybody. I imagine, uh, you know, we don't own any restaurants, so to speak. Uh, we have restaurant or small tenants, but, uh, no. that's going to be, a, a um, Problem and not necessarily an opportunity in terms of uh, how those uh, those uh, properties play out. Um, you know, to Alex's point, we have um, we see, and, and again, this is not necessarily new uh, part of the strategy. But we we do some mes debt lending uh, here in Canada and and uh, hmm. looking at it in, in the states uh, as well, and that's built around the generally the same idea that there's lots of good projects out there or companies that just need a different source of capital at certain times. It doesn't mean that it's uh, distressed or, uh, you know, on the edge of uh, falling apart, at least in our, our you know, in our purview or where we would look for opportunity, mm-hmm. but the, uh, we're going to see uh, more of it given the fact that banks, and uh, I can only speak to Canadian banks are off, off, awfully focused on the retail, uh, um, um, client and and uh, and rightfully so and then bigger businesses that are are bigger parts of their loan books so the small to medium-sized developer that there's good there's good projects and property everywhere in North America for us uh, to, to look at there's always even in a city like Calgary that's a little slower than it used to be um, mm-hmm. there's things that make sense so um, we will continue to look through through that lens uh, in terms of opportunity um, Alex also mentioned that there, there's been a prolifer- pr- proliferation, excuse me, of um, distress funds popping up, um, and fueled by the, the bigger um, capital providers uh, and uh, in, in real estate that's no different. So we, we wouldn't um, actually go uh, looking for absolute distress, but there again, there's going to be just good opportunities in real estate that um, come out of good companies that just need to make uh, hard decisions. So there will be, we, we tend to look into the longer term asset classes we would like and and um, I think there will still be some clouds around uh, multifamily in terms of rental payment and uh, uh, well most real estate in, 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 to be honest with you. So uh, if we can stay the course and, and um, look at Different assets uh, with a with a slightly different lens. There's going to be some good opportunity. I mean, broader, broad, more broadly for for the average investor. Uh, I think that the public reits um, are going to stay down uh, relatively to the rest of the market for some time. We need to figure out what occupancy is going to look like and what what returning to an office looks like and and all those sorts of things. So that's a longer term opportunity. Um, frankly, there's 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 a lot more opportunity in the public markets right now, uh, just from an investment point of view, with great companies that are at uh, near-term lows uh, than there is on the private side, I hate to say that, but uh, as we uh, we get clarity on what we're doing on, on the private real estate side, uh, uh, you know, we'll see the... The public markets um, hopefully uh, start to reflect uh, different parts of the economy uh, more accurately, so people can actually rework their their portfolios, whether it's from a retail investor or institutional. Uh, and that's when I see in a long you know midterm um, more money flowing back into uh, alternatives and um, and. Sort of more longer term uh, strategies. Uh, that's going to be a problem in the near term. As again, as Alex alluded to, um, near term uh, capital mm-hmm. is not necessarily going to be. Uh, uh, nobody's looking for new ideas right now,
0: which is fine. Um, yeah, yeah. You have the denominator effect too, because when, when the public markets go down, suddenly your your private market stuff looks like a huge chunk of your portfolio, but that's just right. it's, still, it's still dated. So
2: we that's, that's we had the curse of uh, our unit price and our mutual fund not falling because it takes a while for building things to adjust. And we don't see it falling uh, dramatically at all or if at all. But um, so we, gotta, you know, we have to wait a bit. But that also gives opportunity to um, become a different part of the conversation.
0: So the NAV of the, the mutual fund is appraisal based. Um, do you... Have uh, like anti liquidity provisions, a gating? uh, And then what's what's your liquidity terms now? Is it monthly or quarterly for subreds? And uh, like, because we've seen quite a few of the whole companies have said, no, all of our real estate now is gated. So we're going to save you from yourself, which I I think actually kind of makes sense. But how have you guys uh, approached that?
2: Well, the structure of the fund is we do have redemption uh, gates, if you will. Uh, We want to have your money for three plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, try and be as uh, upfront about that as as, as we can. Um, so there is uh, a redemption penalty, if you will, in one, two, and three years, different uh, different percentages. And uh, then there's a you know in the in the fund, uh, basically in the fund uh, mandate, there is an overall uh, liquidity restriction. Is in can only withdraw so much percentage of the fund. But we don't expect that to be an issue. Either we haven't seen a whole bunch of um, redemption um, requests in our mutual fund. I think predominantly because it's it's new. You know, we're just a year old in terms of. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, It's gone, it's gone well, and the money's. Uh, you know, we we are a different sort of strategy, but um, you know, we have different um, discussions with some of the longer dated shareholders and some of our closed end funds that are through um, their hold period, and and that's just managing. Um, Managing those investors as well as best we can, but it's not a by any means um, uh, a huge issue for us. But it, it definitely has. Uh, it's it. We talk about it a lot, and because we see it a lot in uh, in the publics, as you mentioned, and and uh, anecdotally in in a lot of uh, our private peers and, and competition, that um, either they're fully closed or um, soft closed, um, if you will. Yeah. We're, we're lucky that we're not uh, we're not huge yet. Going through some of these because that's you know success brings you different problems when it comes to just size and and um, and diversity of shareholders. So, uh, but we are definitely having uh, those conversations internally, and, and we monitor it on a day to day basis as much as you can in, in real estate. Uh, we do have a monthly liquidity. Um, you know, we we try and. Uh, we're moving to a monthly NAV and a monthly liquidity, even though building NAVs don't generally change uh, yeah. you know, over a month. But yeah. uh, we, we have to be aware and, and we do have some retail clients and things that are probably more exposed. So that may affect the valuation of a property here and there. But across the portfolio, it, uh, it, it seems relatively well balanced. I mean, May is going to be a really interesting month uh, in, in, in real estate across the globe. The April was um, probably the, obviously very stressful in small businesses and medium sized businesses because uh, the ones that, that were struggling already probably, uh, you know, obviously took a real hit then. But May will be the month where um, more businesses start to question how the next three to four months look, and that's. Yeah. Um, um, no great insight but that means that the real discussions about rent and and uh, or leasing and, and etc start start to happen and and um, most um, uh, from the, the real estate side are, are hopefully trying to get ahead of that you know again there's lots of people trying to, to work with their their tenants um, across the different asset classes uh, to, to get to help get them through and the tenants also have to realize that we're a business as well and and uh, that um, uh, we have uh, we have commitments on the other side of those properties too. And uh, so uh, you know, at a very high level, those have generally gone pretty well, those discussions. But
0: uh, it's just a matter of time to see how um, how much more interesting they get. Yeah, no one's really been, been through this. I have one more question for you on um, Mitch and pub, the public market. So do you ever, uh, or as a normal course, take, take private or pub, maybe a public reIT or use the public markets like th- sell into those reITs or 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 that sort of thing or is it, is it strictly in the the private realm with uh, more strategic tra- transactions
2: well, strictly in the private round i mean I can't we would certainly look at an off market asset transaction out of a, a public reIT if it was in a certain asset uh, type or geography that we wanted to uh, round up the portfolio with but we don't we don't invest as a fund into. I know there are privates out there that have a certain public component, whether it's for liquidity or just for exposure ter- uh, purposes. We we're not at that point yet, and we don't uh, foresee that in the next uh, in the near term. We've got uh, lots to do in, in 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 the private end of things.
0: Yeah, it's a great way to add volatility if you want it, I guess. Um, but yeah, let's go <laughs> let's go across the globe, about eight hours away by plane and by by time zones back to. Uh, to Alex, there. So you're raising Fund Seven. How? What are you? What are you telling investors now? Um, uh, obviously not speculation, but is there something that? How are you framing this fund as? You know, this is this is the place to be for the next uh, ten years for this chunk of money, or is it or an eight-year fund? Um, and the 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 macro themes that you that you have in there.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the first pitch I'd make is that you know we have a really good, healthy, wide-open market without Corona crisis, right? So the, the, the segment mm-hmm. I play in doesn't really have a lot of uh, financial investors in it, at least not in Europe. Um, it is um, a place where, you know, there's fundamentally good companies. Yes, they're complex. Yes, they need a lot of work. Um, so basically, first line of defense for me is, listen, I have a good market already. However, if Corona should prove to be a very significant opportunity um, within the investment period of the fund, obviously, we'll take advantage of it. Right. Um, so that's kind of how we play that but I would certainly think that there are um, you know rescue finance deals that need to be, need to happen spin-offs for a company to get rid of assets um, buyouts um, you know, all of these dynamics will without a doubt be in the market the simple question is when is it time to really act because then I think you do need to have a bit of a view on how this crisis turns out because Mm-hmm. Old assumptions about, you know, I don't know, how, how productive um, certain industries or certain companies are, are obviously based on old premises, i.e., this is the way the economy and society functioned before. That might obviously be slightly altered. I'm not saying it's fundamentally altered, but it will be slightly altered. And therefore, predictions are difficult to make until a direction is kind of given. Yeah, I guess your background
0: in bankruptcies and and special sits gives you some kind of roadmap to that. But uh, yeah, you have to you have to adapt that to the the times that we're in. How about you, Doug? You have a uh, an open ended fund, which I guess is always trying to attract investors. And then uh, I imagine, is there a closed end fund coming out? And then how are you positioning that with uh, with investors as you go forward? We do have
2: a couple of different closed-end funds coming out, and probably will be launching those now in the fall. Those are five to seven-year hold periods, and we will position those as we had their predecessors in, with specific strategies in mind for the investment. We don't foresee a big change in terms of our base business from that perspective. Uh, we, you know, we like to. Um, Invest in things for the mid to, to longer term. We're certainly opportunistic. If we get to the right price on an asset, it uh, it may it may get sold, uh, or if we find the right asset, it may get bought. I agree with Alex. We we're going to see a, a sort of a medium simmer on the you know return. Uh, people are going to um, get on planes less, get on uh, get on um, get into the to buildings less, but people are creatures of habit and. Um, Mm-hmm. Once we get a few weeks into um, people having a little more uh, flexibility in their lifestyle, uh, I would—it's going to be really interesting to see how many people go back to their daily routine, and I think it's going to be more than than people are estimating. Um, so the the it's going to—it's a great time to uh, be in 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 real estate, and and I think in just investing in in. in Small to medium businesses like like Alex and, and ESO, because there are really significant challenges, but there's really significant opportunities for good operators. And um, we're, we're, I'm, I'm mildly excited about it. I guess uh, I could take the other the <laughs> other view and not be uh, be pretty upset. But it's uh, this is a real study, both academic and in in real time, about uh, you know how the, the world is going to change, how it interacts.
0: Yeah, certainly. Thank you. Well, this has been great. I, I love, uh, actually real estate. It's like, keep, keep the tiller steady, keep going. And, uh, you know, things will work so you got to every, every, there's always a crisis. It seems every 10 years or maybe many ones every three or five. So, uh, you know, just getting through that is, is half the battle. Next thing you know, you have a, you know, a 14 or 17 year track record. So that's great guys. Uh, thanks a lot for this time, uh, for calling in from, uh, from far away. I'm here in the middle in Toronto and uh look forward to having both of you on another uh, podcast sometime soon thanks a lot thank you very much appreciate it
2: thanks so much james